You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends, and welcome to the September 1st episode of the Bacon Bets podcast. But more importantly, just welcome to September. If you're a sports fan or a sports better, and I'm, you know, I'm going to assume all of you are if you're listening to this podcast, we are in for a month. Let's go! This is going to be the greatest month in North American sports history. I'm going to... I'm knocking on wood. I'm knocking on wood because it's 2020. We don't know what's all going to happen. But if everything goes according to plan, and let's hope it does, let's assume it will, we will have the NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, last few weeks of the MLB regular season, college football, at least in some conferences, UFC fights every weekend, including UFC 253, the Kentucky Derby for you horse bettors. English Premier League will start back up. The U.S. Open, both tennis is this week, and then the golf U.S. Opens in a couple weeks. And then, of course, starting in about 10 days will be the National Football League. Finally, after everything we've been through in 2020, we have our North American love child, our, our National Football League, the one thing we can grasp to every year. So it's going to be an insane month. Buckle up, because it's going to be a wild month, and there are going to be some bets placed. And by some bets placed, I mean a million bets placed. So in saying that, with this being the first episode of the month, uh, buckle in, because it's a big one. So I'm going to start the show with my best bets for September 1st, which will be three MLB picks and an NHL pick. And then, then I'm gonna going to get into my betting preview and picks for the Tour Championship, uh, the final uh, event of the PJ Tour season. Uh, of course, the winner will win the FedEx Cup. Then I'm going to give a couple picks for the UFC, and then I'm going to finish today's episode off with my best future bets for the NFL season. I figure that it's fitting uh, with the NFL season starting uh, next Thursday. I'm going to get into some NFL futures. And then I'm going to finish the show off. I'm going to rank... Uh, in my opinion at least, what the easiest uh, to the hardest sports are to handicap, in my opinion. But speaking of the NFL returning, a little announcement before we get into the start of the show here. Starting next week, 
I'm going to do two episodes a week throughout the NFL season. So Monday is just going to be a normal episode, breaking down the sports that week, whatever it is, golf, UFC, NHL, MLB, whatever. And then I'm going to do a separate episode that will be released Thursday mornings that will be NFL only. And in those episodes, I'm going to do something this season that I've never done before. I'm going to place a bet on every single NFL game. It's going to be a bet on the side, a total, or maybe even a prop bet. But I will have a bet placed for every single game this NFL season, and I'm going to track my record on this podcast. So that's 256 bets I'm placing this this NFL season, if my math is right. And I know I'm going to regret doing this probably around like 3.47 p.m. on Sunday, September 26th, but I'm going to stick to it. I advise you to probably fade me. This is probably the worst idea I've ever had. But we'll see how it's going to go. If you want to tail me on this magical adventure throughout the NFL season, please do. But I really can't see this going well for me. If I'm betting every single game, that means I'm going to force bets that I don't really love. Uh, But really, I mean, am I saying all this as some kind of defense mechanism to save myself some pride when I'm down 83 units by the end of the season? Yes. But anyways, that's my announcement for you guys. Starting Thursday, September 10th, the morning of, will be the first NFL-only episode. Those episodes will be a little bit more quick. They'll be a little bit more rapid. I'm just going to go through my 16 bets for these 16 NFL games or whoever many games are on that weekend once we get into bye weeks. Um, yeah, and we're, I'm going to track my record. I'll see how I do across, what did I say, 256 bets it'll be by the end of the regular season. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see how those will go, but uh, I am going to give out my best futures bets at the end of this episode today, or at least in the uh, right before the final portion. Um, so now that we have that out of the way, my friends, without further ado, let's get into the September 1st episode of the Bacon Bets Podcast. <laughs> start with my September 1st best bets. Last week, I actually did pretty well with these best bets. I went 3-0-1 last week on Tuesday. Uh, that was probably due to the prayer that we did to Gamblor uh, at the end of the show, so we're going to we're gonna pop that prayer in at the end of the pick section of the show again today to see if uh, we can get some luck again tonight. Uh, so last week, I hit the under between the Indians and Twins. I also hit the over in the Dodgers, and I think that, that was a Giants game, Dodgers-Giants. I hit Lightning, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning as a money line pick against the Bruins, and then my Diamondbacks' first five money line pick against the Rockies was a push. So 3-0-1, no losers on last week's show as far as uh, the Tuesday's best bets portion of the show. Let's hope that success carries into this week. So my first best bet for tonight's action will be tonight by the time you listen to this, of course. Uh, I have to give the disclaimer every time I'm recording this on Monday night, so if the odds have shifted by the time you are listening to this, I apologize, Um, but these are all as of Monday night at Bovada. So my first bet of the night is going to be another totals bet, and I'm going with the over 9 between the Cubs and the Pirates Tuesday night. So the over 9 is at minus 120, that's going to be my bet, it's going to be John Lester, Against Chad Cool, John Lester, of course, left-handed pitcher, 4.55 ERA, 5.28 FIP, 1.2 WHIP. Chad Cool, which I mean, that is just the—that's the most Chad name ever. Chad Cool. There's a joke in there somewhere. I can't think of it. 2.52 ERA, 5.45 FIP, 
1.08 whip. Uh, now, just uh, to read those stats out again, the thing that sticks out, in my opinion, Chad Cool 2.52 ERA, 5.45 FIP. So if you guys don't know what FIP is, it's some kind of adjusted ERA. Uh, I guess it's supposed to take your defense out of consideration. So it's supposed to give you like the league average and I don't know, bounces, defensive play. I don't know. The the the, the statisticians are a lot smarter than me that comes up with these. But it's supposed to be your FIP adjusted with, with a league average defense. So Chad Cool goes from a 2.52 ERA to 5.45 FIP. So that usually tells you if that's the case, that his numbers are, are kind of overperforming how he's actually playing. Uh, so that that is definitely plays a factor into the overbet uh, for myself. Uh, but let's get into some offensive numbers. The Pirates are dead last in OPS versus righties. So it's a good thing, obviously, that they're going up against a left-handed pitcher in John Lester. They rank 14th in OPS versus lefties and 6th versus lefties in on-base percentage. Opposite true is for the Cubs, 24th in OPS versus left-handed pitches, pitchers, but that's good news because uh, they're actually 6th in OPS versus right-handed pitchers, and they're going up against righty Chad Cool. Uh, so both of those offensive uh, numbers are good as far as hitting the over. Also, let's look at the bullpen. Neither bullpen's very good. Pirates are 22nd in bullpen ERA. Cubs are 26th in bullpen ERA. Uh, for any of you guys who like trends, the over is also 18-12 in the Cubs' last 30 games, 16-12-2 in the Pirates' last 30 games. So both teams are hitting the over uh, more than they're hitting the under so far this season. Uh, so with all, I mean, all those factors combined, I love the over at over 9 at minus 120. Obviously gives us that chance to push. Uh, I actually think you might get a better line on this by by the time you're listening to this tomorrow because I think the public sees John Lester, think he's a good pitcher, and he, I mean, he's an average pitcher, and then they see Chad Cool's ERA, and then they might want to go under. Uh, but as I point, pointed out, uh, the 2.52 ERA might be a little bit of a fugazi, if you will. Uh, so I'm going to take the over nine Cubs and Pirates for my first best bet for Tuesday, September 1st. My second Best bet, we're staying in the in Major League Baseball. I'm going to take an underdog pick here. I'm taking the Nationals, plus 130 against the Phillies. So it's Patrick Corbin, obviously left-handed pitcher, 382 ERA, 373 FIP, 1.302 whip. He takes the mound for the Nationals against uh, Aaron Nola for the Phillies, right-handed pitcher, 3 ERA, 3.38 FIP, 0.917 whip. Now, let's take a look at some offensive numbers. Phillies are 4th in OPS versus left-handed pitchers. Nationals are 16th in OPS versus right-handed pitchers. So, both the starting pitcher stats and the offensive numbers may seem a little bit confusing, and you may be wondering why I'm on the Nationals if the Phillies seemingly have the advantage in starting pitchers in offense. Well, let's get to that reason right now. It's the bullpen. Nationals 14th in bullpen ERA. Phillies are dead last. The Philadelphia Phillies have a bullpen ERA this season of 7.01. That is disgusting. It's gross. They might, I mean, the Phillies might have a slight uh, offensive advantage, but that completely gets wiped out by their brutally bad bullpen. Uh, don't forget, also, Aaron Nola threw a season-high 113 pitches in his last start, so he might be on a bit of a short leash in this game, and if he is, the Nationals are going to have a home run derby against their blasphemous bullpen. So I like the Nationals as an underdog here at this price. I mean, that's also a, a reason why I like it. Plus 130 on Patrick Corbin against this Phillies team with a terrible bullpen. I think uh, it has a lot of value there at plus 130. If it's a little bit closer to uh, even money, then maybe not. But plus 130, I love the price there. 
uh, on the Nationals against the Phillies. So that's my second pick, Nationals plus 130. And then my third and final pick for Major League Baseball for Tuesday, September 1st. I'm going on the first five totals bet. So Diamondbacks against Dodgers. I'm taking the first five, under five, at minus 105. First five, under five, minus 105. So it's Alex Young, lefty, 4.7 ERA, 5.78 FIP, 1.174 WHIP. Going up against Julio Urias, 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 3.67 ERA, 3.91 FIP. 1.407 1.407 whip. Uh, so I like this bet for two reasons. One, uh, because I'm, for some reason, I'm addicted to betting on Alex Young. I mean, he's he's not even putting up good numbers this year. I mean, it's not even like his FIP saves him. His FIP is even worse than his ERA. So uh, I don't know why, but I'm convinced he's better than his numbers show this year. So I keep waiting for Alex Young to turn it on. Uh, but the second reason, which is more the main reason, both teams uh, are pretty bad versus uh, left-handed pitchers. So Dodgers, 20th in batting average, 21st in OPS versus left-handed pitchers, which is pretty significant because I'm pretty sure they're first against righties. They crush righties, but they struggle against lefties. Diamondbacks, 19th in batting average versus lefties, 28th in OPS versus lefties. Uh, so I think we're getting a pretty decent price at minus 105 for the first five, under five in this game. Obviously, it has a chance for us to push there as well. Uh, but I think Alex Young uh, is going to start playing better and two lefties going up against two offenses that just struggle against lefties. So I like the first five under five, minus 105 in that game. Let's move to the NHL for my final best bet for September 1st. I'm looking at the Flyers versus Islanders game. If the Islanders win the cup, I might actually have to go into hiding. It's going to get ugly. And I, I, I actually do think they're going to end up winning the series and it's going to absolutely kill me. But I'm not going to take them tonight. I am actually going to take the the Flyers to win this game to at least force a game six. Flyers even money versus Islanders. That's that that's the bet. So the Flyers do have the better five on five Corsi percentage so far uh, in this round, fifty three point two four percent compared to the Islanders of forty six point seven six percent. The Islanders do have more high danger scoring chances than uh, the Flyers, fifty to thirty eight. That does give me a little bit of cause for concern. To be honest. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't have too many stats to back up this pick. This pick is a little bit more of an eye test bet. I just think the Flyers are a better team than what they've shown so far in this series. Maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part because I don't want the Islanders to win uh, because I'll look like a fool when I call them frauds back in December. Uh, But my plan going into this game after watching game four was if I could get the Flyers at even money or better, I was going to pull the trigger. I'm getting them at even money, so consider the trigger pulled. Also, Varlamov just needs to fuck off and allow a few goals for a change. I don't know where he's... I mean, a lot of it has to do with the Islanders and how well they're on, playing on defense more than the goaltending, but their goaltending has been making the saves when they've needed uh, to make them. Uh, some of the best goals against average and save percentage in the playoffs. So, Varlamov, I need you to have one bad game, please. But I'll take the Flyers' even money in Game 5, right? Yeah, it's Game 5 because Islanders are up 3-1. So, there you go. Those are my four best bets for... Tuesday, September 1st. Just to recap them, I'm taking the over 9 between the Cubs and the Pirates. And that price is at uh, minus 120. I don't know if I mentioned the price uh, when I was breaking down the pick, but it's minus 120 is the juice on that. Uh, Cubs, Pirates over 9. Then I'm taking the Nationals, plus 130 underdog versus the Phillies. Then I'm taking the first 5, under 5, minus 105 between Diamonds, Diamondbacks and Dodgers. And then the Flyers, even money versus the Islanders. So let's get to the next topic on the schedule for the episode. Let's look at the Tour Championship. 
the PGA Tour finale, the top 30 golfers in the FedEx Cup standings will be competing for a $15 million purse. That's a massive purse to first place. I can't even imagine what I would do with $15 million. So the first thing we need to cover is that this event is obviously quite different from other events on the PGA Tour. First of all, obviously, there's only 30 golfers, and it's basically the top 30 golfers. But each golfer will start with a certain score depending on where they finish in the FedEx Cup standings. This is only the second year that the PGA Tour is running the Tour Championship in this fashion, so it does make it a little bit tricky to handicap. We kind of only have one year of experience with this uh, scoring format. But, I mean, it does make sense why they're going to this. Uh, I mean, everyone remembers two years ago, Tiger Woods won the actual event, the Tour Championship. Uh, Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup at the same event, but no one gave a shit about Justin Rose winning the FedEx Cup, which is supposed to be, you know, the PJ Tour's season-long championship. Uh, I'll always remember, he was he's like standing beside Tiger during the interviews and just, he has this weird look in his face because he won the big prize, you know, he won the $15 million or $12 million, however much it was, and nobody gives a fuck. They just want to celebrate Tiger winning the, his first uh, event since his long hiatus, so... Uh, I'm sure that was a huge deciding factor in why they ended up going with this format. They didn't want uh, one golfer to win the event and one golfer to win the FedEx Cup. It just makes it weird and awkward after the fact. So with that being said, that's how they've decided to change things is depending on where each golfer is standing in the FedEx Cup standings, they're going to start a certain amount under par. So Dustin Johnson's coming into the week first in FedEx Cup standings. He will start the event at 10 under par. He will have a two-stroke lead over the golfer who's second in the standings, who is John Rahm. So John Rahm will be starting the event at 8-under. Justin Thomas will then be starting the event at 7-under. Webb Simpson's kind of coming in at 6-under. Colin Morikawa's coming in at 5-under. And then there's going to be a group of 4-under. Uh, and then so on and so forth, every five golfers, all the way down to the 26th to 30th ranked golfers in the FedEx Cup will be starting the event at even par. So like I said, 2019 last year was the first year using this format. In case you're wondering, Rory McIlroy won it, uh, and he started the event fifth in the standings. So he started the event at five under. It was Justin Thomas that got that big lead. Um, he started the event at 10 under. He did not win. So at the very least, we know someone who starts five under is able to go on and win. He actually ended up kind of running away with it too. He had, he had a final round score of 66. He gave him a four-stroke win. Xander Shoffley finished second place, and he started the event at four under. Uh, Kepka and JT were tied for third. Uh, they started the event seven under and ten under. Uh, not a single golfer in the top who finished in the top ten started the event even par. So that's going to be key here when you're going to be handicapping who you want to bet on to win. Nobody in the top ten started the event even par. Only one golfer in the top ten started at one under. That was Ches Reeve. He started the event at one under. He ended up finishing eighth. Uh, only two guys in the top 10 started that two under. Paul Casey didn't. He finished fifth. Uh, he was kind of the guy who made the biggest leap. And then Kevin Kisner also started the two under, and he finished tied for ninth. So if you're betting on a guy to win the event, I think you want to stay to the guys who are starting the event at least three under, maybe even four under or better. Uh, I'm going to get into my picks here in a few minutes, but uh, most of my, or all my picks are three under or, or better. One of them's three under, one of them is four under, but I'll, I'll get into those into, into, in, uh, in a couple of minutes. Basically, if you want to bet on a golfer who's three under or better, this leaves us with Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, uh, Justin Thomas, 
Webb Simpson, Morikawa, Daniel Berger, Harris English, Bryson DeChambeau, Sung J M, Hideki Matsuyama, Brennan Todd, Roy McIlroy, Patrick Reed, Xander Shoffley, and Sebastian Munoz. So in my opinion, the winners of this event is going to be one of those guys. Those are all the guys that are three under or better at the start of the tournament. Uh, before I give my actual picks, let's look into the course itself. It's being held at East Lake Golf Club, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, this is another long par 70 course, similar to last week's uh, event, but it's obviously not going to be as hard. By the way, I didn't mention last week's event. Uh, I was off. I don't I, I don't think any of my uh, pre-tournament picks won. Um, I didn't look into it too much. Uh, I was kind of away spending time with family this weekend, so I haven't actually looked into it too much. But, man, I did not expect that course to be as tough as what it played. So that kind of threw off my handicapping completely. I, didn't, I knew it was going to be difficult. I didn't think it was going to be that difficult. That was like U.S. Open-esque. Uh, difficult U.S. Open at that. So uh, that happens sometimes when you're going into an event blind. That was the first time an event was held there since 2003. Uh, so I was a little bit off with that. Not a big deal. We will move on from that and into the Tour Championship, into the East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. Like I said, long par 70 course, measuring over 7,300 yards. Uh, with it being the top 30 golfers in the FedEx Cup, listen, everyone's going to have good stats. So we have to get a little bit more course-specific with our handicapping. Uh, this weekend instead of just looking to see which golfers shoot better in certain areas because all 30 guys shoot very well in basically every single area. So the five key stats that I've pointed out for the Tour Championship. First one, strokes gained tee to green. So of course, this just gives us an overall look at how each golfer has played the season from the tee box to the green. So that's just going give, to give us a kind of general overview of where, where, where their game's at this season. Next is par four scoring. Uh, it's a par 70 course, which means, of course, 12 of the 18 holes are par fours. Anytime they play a par 70 course, I like to look at par four scoring, so that's the second one. Third one is par three efficiency from 200 to 225 yards. So all four par threes at East Lake are within the distance of 200 to 225 yards. That allows us to get pretty specific on golfers who are good from this range. Uh, fourth key stat is going to be scrambling percentage. With golfers starting with a certain score, we can't have them giving up strokes. That's the number one thing they can't do. So we need guys who are able to scramble for par when they find themselves in trouble. Also, this course can get a little bit tricky around the greens, so good chipping is going to be important as well. So that'll that's factored into scrambling percentage as well, of course. So scrambling percentage is going to be the fourth. Uh, then strokes gained putting. Uh, the greens are pretty slippery. They are bent grass greens for anyone who cares about that. Uh, but good putting is what seems to separate the winners from the pack in these tight events. So I like putting for this one. So that's going to be my fifth key stat. But another thing that's not necessarily a key stat, but it's something that I definitely think uh, you should put a lot of importance into this week. And that is past performance. Uh, the Tour Championship has been held at East Lake Golf Club since 2004. So we have a lot of results we can reference as far as past performances for anyone who's been in this event in the past. So I think that's going to be a key factor this weekend. Guys who you know can play well here. Now let's get to my picks. Now in honor of this being the final event, and there only being 30 golfers in the field, my picks this week are only to win. I'm not going to do any top 5, top 10, top 20. Uh, there's even an option on on at least Bovada, at least for who will shoot the lowest without the starting scores. Screw all that. Let's not mess around. I'm strictly making bets on three guys to win the Tour Championship, to win the FedEx Cup to win the whole damn thing. Let's not mess around. Let's get into it. My first pick, Webb Simpson. He's right now listed 12-1, to 1, so he's coming in at fourth place. So he's going to start the event at six under. 
four strokes behind uh, Dustin Johnson, who'll be in first. Only one stroke behind Justin Thomas, but his odds are twice as higher. So Justin Thomas will be starting the event at 7-under, but he's at plus 600. Webb Simpson starting at 6-under, but he's plus 1,200. So I think you have to bet on Webb Simpson over Justin Thomas almost for that exact reason pre-tournament. Uh, also, Webb Simpson is an absolute stud in all five of my key stats. Strokes gain, T to green is 12th. Par 4 scoring, he's 1st. Par 3 from 200 to 225 yards, he's tied for 14th. Scrambling 7th, strokes gain, putting 12th. So he's top 15 in all five of the stats. Now, in 2018, before the handicap scoring started in the Tour Championship, he finished tied for 4th. He also finished tied for 13th here in 2017. So he's played uh, well at East Lake in the past. He has a handful of years of experience playing here. Uh, actually, quite a few years of experience playing here. So... I think he can have success again, and like I said, those five key stats, top 15 in all five of them, that's absolutely massive. So that's going to be my first pick to win, Webb Simpson at 12-1. to My second pick, I'm going with Xander Shoffley. He's coming in at 25-1. to So this is the guy I mentioned who I'm taking who is at 3-under. So out of the group of guys who are starting this event at 3-under, I really only think it's going to be him and McElroy that really have a chance to win. Uh, but as far as betting odds go, Shoffley has a little bit more value. I believe McElroy's 20 to 1, Shoffley's 25 to 1. But the big reason why I like him, he loves this golf course. He finished second here last year with the handicap scoring. He finished tied for seventh in 2018, and he won the event in 2017. He won the tour championship in 2017. So he's won here in the past. Top seven last three years. So if you want a golfer who's played well at East Lake year in and year out, it's Xander Shoffley. Uh, but really quick, let's look at his stats. Strokes gained T to green this season. He's 7th. Par 4 scoring, he's 5th. Par 3, 200 to 225 yards. He's tied for 180th, so he's not great in that stat, but really that's probably the least important of the four. Scrambling, he's 4th. Very good scrambler. And then strokes gained, putting, 57th. So that's my second pick, Xander Shoffley. My final pick, Daniel Berger. My boy, Berger, Berger time. I almost feel like I owe it to Daniel Berger to bet on him since he was my big outright win at the Charles Schwab Challenge. So, yeah, I kind of feel like I owe it to him to back him to win the whole tour championship. But I like his stats a lot. So he's starting the event at four under. So I'm getting a little a little bit riskier because McElroy won it last year starting the event at five under. But I think these four under and three under guys have a chance as well. Now, he isn't a guy, Daniel Berger, he doesn't have a ton of experience at Eastlake, at least in, recently, uh, in recent years. He wasn't there the last two years, but he did finish 15th and tied for 15th in 2017 and 2016. So he does have some experience on the course, at least. Uh, but let's look at his stats. These are what really sticks out to me. So strokes gained, Tita Green, he's 10th, par 4 scoring, 8th, par 3 from 200 to 225 yards, 40th, scrambling first. I think that's going to be huge this weekend. First in the PJ Tour and scrambling, and then putting 14th. So he's a very good putter as well. Uh, so those are my three picks: Webb Simpson 12 to one, Xander Shoffley 25 to one, and Daniel Berger 28 to one. I didn't give you guys uh, any of the top three golfers: uh, Rom, DJ, and Justin Thomas. Those are kind of obvious picks. I mean, if you want to go with those guys, go ahead. Um, but I mean, through a, a four day event, I don't know how much value you can put into just like a two stroke lead. At, you know. Uh, one stroke I mean the pre-tournament odds Dustin Johnson plus 200 John Rahm plus 300 Justin Thomas plus 600 I just don't think there's value at those prices I think you can get better prices probably after the first or second day by the way I believe this event is Friday to Monday because of Labor Day 
I'm just going to double check that September 4th to the 7th. I should have known this before I started recording. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is. So because of Labor Day, it actually starts on Fridays. So you have an extra day to, I don't know, do research, I guess. Listen to this podcast a second time. Make sure that you heard every single word. Tour champions start tour championship starting on Friday. Best of luck. All right, UFC. What is it? UFC Fight Night. Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. Are you guys ready for the quickest UFC picks breakdown in the history of handicapping? Listen, I stink at UFC. I'm on an all-time cold streak betting on UFC. Who did I have last weekend? I had um, ah, uh, they both lost. Whoever it was, I'm having a brain fart right now thinking of who it was. Oh, Robbie Lawler in the co-main event. Uh, a lot of value, I thought, on him at plus 190, and then he came out and just didn't really fight, to be honest. I knew it was over. As soon as he went for a takedown in the first round, he initiated the takedown. That's not the Robbie Lawler I bet on. That's I don't know who that is, a guy who's mailed it in. Um, and then in the main event, Alexander Rakic had said to take him by uh, finish or under one and a half rounds, and then he won by decision. So if he faded me... Well, if you faded me and took Magna, you won. If you faded me uh, with the Rockage pick and just took Rockage decision, then you won there as well. Uh, but I continue to be on an all-time cold streak with the UFC, so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on it today. Um, I was just going to skip right through and head to my NFL picks, but I figured I'm so bad in the UFC, it would be a disservice to you guys not to give my picks for you guys to then fade. So here are two quick picks for this weekend's UFC card. The co-main and the main. Co-main, I believe it's Ovan St. Peru over Alonzo Minifield, which I broke down on the podcast a couple weeks ago when it was supposed to happen, and then it got canceled because OSP got the old Rona. Uh, so, I mean, I still uh, like OSP. Plus 110, I think his grappling will be what wins it for him. Minifield goes for the early KO. OSP survives it. He grapples Minifield, and then he wins by decision or submission. So my pick's OSP plus 110. Go ahead and lock in your Minifield bets now. <laughs> And the main event, Alistair Overeem versus Augusto Sakai. I can't fit uh, predict Alistair fights correctly. I mean, I guess that's just kind of a small sample size of just my UFC betting in general lately. But when I think Alistair is going to zig, he zigs. When I think he's going to zag, he zigs. Uh, I am actually going to bet against him this time. I think Sakai at plus 120 has some value. He's been on a tear. His last uh, three wins, Ivanov, Tiberia, and Arlovsky. Uh, this is a true gatekeeper fight to find out just how good Sakai is, to find out if he is legit. But I am going to back the youth over the experience in this one. Give me Sakai plus 120, which means all of you need to go bet on Overeem. So there you have it. Though That's it for my UFC breakdown. I'm on the two underdogs in the co-main and main, so the favorites are going to win. Go ahead and par- probably parlay them, bet the house, and you'll be rich. Uh, I apologize for UFC fans, but I'm number one, I stink at ufc so i'm kind of disgruntled with it right now i don't want to spend too much time on it and also too i'm too excited for football so i want to get into my nfl picks i didn't want to spend too much time on the ufc this week so let's move on to the nfl finally we're almost back what i'm going to do on this show uh, i already mentioned i'm going to start an nfl only show starting next thursday we're going to give a pick for every single game of the nfl season those episodes will be released Thursday mornings. Uh, they'll be quicker because it's just going to be my 16 NFL picks for the week, and then that'll be it. Uh, I want to talk some NFL beforehand. I want to talk some props, some futures, some fun bets to make for this week, and a few ones that I like. Uh, and uh, beware, I'm going to have some hot takes in this next portion. Yeah, I'll get into that in just one second. <laughs> uh, so be prepared. If you get offended by hot takes, 
this might not be the podcast for you. I love them sizzling hot takes. Uh, like I tweeted Saturday night, nothing gets the blood flowing better than a, being a couple beer deep and tweeting out a hot take that you know people are going to hate. I love it. I lost followers because of my hot take on Saturday, which I'm going to back up and in, in, in here in a couple minutes. But that's all right. If you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. My first NFL bet for the season is one I gave out on guys and bets last week, so I'm not going to get into it too much because you already heard me rant about it. Falcons to make the playoffs plus 210. I need to get the homer pick out of the way. You guys know I'm a big Falcons fan, diehard Falcons fan. I hate them by the end of every single NFL season. And then the offense, the offseason is long enough that by the time the NFL season starts back up, I've now com- regained complete faith in the team, and I love them to death. So I'm going to get my one homer pick out of the way. I actually do think Falcons make the playoffs at plus 210 is a good bet. They finished the season last year 6-2, and two, including wins over the Saints and the 49ers. Uh, it's hard to bet against an offense that good. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and former MVP Matt Ryan. Uh, who knows, maybe Todd Gurley will see a resurgence. I can only hope so. I don't expect it. But, I mean, they have a lot of offensive weapons. Also expanded playoffs, seven teams, so there's going to be one extra team in each conference making the playoffs, which the Falcons love to just barely miss out of the playoffs, so that seventh seed might be kind of perfect for them. Keys for the for the Falcons season. Offensive line has to stay, stay healthy. We have no depth on the offensive line. We have to stay healthy. The rookies, who we or last year's rookies, will be second-year guys, need to step up. They need to stay healthy. Question mark is on the offensive line, but if they stay healthy, we'll be all right. Second, we need to get pressure on the quarterback. Dante Fowler, uh, signed by the Falcons this offseason. He will hopefully work out well for him. Him and Tack McKinley need to be monsters on the defensive line. I think they will. Biggest question mark of the team, though, is our cornerbacks. We have two second years and a rookie as our cornerbacks. Biggest question mark on the team. Who knows how well they're going to be. The rookies, they're young guys. We need them to step up. And hopefully our pass defense isn't absolutely abysmal. As I'm going through those keys, I just can't, I just lost a little faith in the Falcons. But still, <laughs> plus 210 to make the playoffs. That's my pick for my Falcons. That's my one homer pick for the podcast. Let's move on to my second bet. I have a lot, so I'm going to try to get through these quickly. This is the hot take that I had Saturday night that I tweeted out that people hated. I'm taking Kyler Murray under 3,950.5 passing yards. So basically, it loses if he hits 4,000. I think Kyler Murray's overrated. He should not have won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Josh Jacobs was the clear Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. It seems like the media falls in love with a rookie every season, and then no matter how well he does, they just, you know, pump his tires. S his D, if you will. And last year, that was Kyler Murray. If you, I mean, his stats weren't too bad, but if you actually watch Kyler Murray's games, in my opinion anyways, I don't think he reads through his progressions well. It looks like he would look at his first read and then take a glance at his second read and then tuck the ball looking for a place to run. Now, there are quarterbacks out there who are mobile. There's nothing wrong with being a mobile quarterback. I'm not shitting on mobile quarterbacks. Obviously, Lamar Jackson did well for him. Now, he's a little bit of a special case because he's just so uh, athletically gifted with his feet. But you need to look at guys who are, I think Russell Wilson is the perfect example to compare to what Kyler Murray could be if he used all of his skills as best as he could. Use the mobility in the pocket to buy yourself more time to look for more downfield targets. Instead of doing that, Kyler Murray, when I would watch him, instead of taking his eyes, uh, keeping his eyes downfield, looking for targets as he was moving around, he shifted his eyes to right in front, in front of him, looking to see where the defensive line was trying to find a lane to run. That's not how you use your feet as a quarterback, in my opinion. T. 
teams will learn to adapt. Defenses will learn to adapt to counteract that. I don't think he reads through his progressions well. I think he's overrated. I think he's going to have a bad year. Uh, and yes, they got Nuke in the offseason, but Larry Fitzgerald needs to retire. He's an aging. He's he's taken away snaps from other guys who can do a better job this season, I think, especially Christian Kirk. Maybe he's not necessarily taking away snaps from Christian Kirk because Christian Kirk's more of a slot guy. Uh, but he's at the very least taking away looks, taking away throws from some better receivers. So an aging Larry Fitzgerald doesn't help his cause. Also, I think they're going to lean on Kenyon Drake a little bit this year. Uh, they love Kenyon Drake there. I think they're going to run the ball a little bit more this year. So I'm going to take the under 3,950.5 passing yards by Kyler Murray this year. Uh, next, I'm going with another young quarterback, and I'm going with another under. I'm going Josh Allen under 22.5 passing touchdowns plus 115. Uh, by the way, all these prop odds are available at Bovada, uh, Bodog if you're outside America. That's where I'm getting all these from. So Josh Allen had 10 passing yard, uh, passing touchdowns in his rookie year. He had 20 last season. I don't think he's surpassing what he did last season. He's got a big arm. He's a fun quarterback to watch, but I think he takes a step back this year. Plus money for under 22.5 when he only had 20 last season, which I think will be his best season. I love that bet. Uh, yeah, I don't. I think the Buffalo's, Buffalo Bills, at least their offense, I think it's going to take a step back despite them getting Stephon Diggs this year. Uh, Josh Allen, uh, 22.5 passing touchdowns, that's a lot. Getting the under uh, on that at plus money, I love it. So Josh Allen, under 22.5 passing touchdowns, plus 115. Next one's going to be a team prop bet. We're looking at the AFC North, and I'm going to bet on the Cleveland Browns to finish last in the AFC North at plus 425. Don't hate me, Browns fans, but I think it's going to get ugly in Cleveland this year. We saw sparks of what happened last year when things weren't going well. The diva duo at wide out between OBJ and Jarvis Landry, they melt down when, it, when they're going to start getting ducks thrown to them by Makerfield, uh, Baker Mayfield. I mean, OBJ and Jarvis, like, what those guys do, the antics they do, I mean... I don't want to sound like an old fart and just call guys distractions and... and not necessarily liking the new style of player but doing things like wearing cleats when you know that you're going to get fined and not suspended but fined by the nfl they're going to force you to take off the cleats your team is in a bad situation as it is it's just an unnecessary distraction uh that's what obj did last year and it's just a lot of examples of that when things aren't going their way they start to melt down and i think they become a bit of a bad distraction i think that's just a lot of what cleveland is People are going to hate me for this take because I, I, it sounds like I'm an old fart, kind of one of those old guy football takes uh, that everyone should just shut up and just be quiet and just play football. That's not it, but OBJ and Jarvis Landry, in my opinion, take take it too far. I like I like the young man's game. I like kind of being loud. I like a little bit of obnoxiousness. But when things aren't going your way, that's when you need to step up and overcome some of that stuff. And I think they turn the other way and they kind of half give up almost. Um, so, yeah. I think the Browns are, I think they're going to be a dumpster fire this year. Also, they're playing in one of the best divisions in football right now. Ravens are the Ravens, of course. Steelers have Big Ben back and a stacked defensive back unit. The Bengals are going to be much improved this year with hopefully A.J. Green healthy and then Joe Burrow under center, who I think, you know, I actually think the Bengals were, were better than the record last year to begin with. So Browns have finished last in the AFC North. I love that value, plus 425. Uh, yeah, sorry, Browns fans. Uh, then I'm going to go... <laughs> Uh, I'm noticing that the first few are all kind of negative. I'm all just shitting on guys and shitting on teams, but uh, here's one more for you. Sam Darnold under 3,599.5 passing yards, minus 110. 
Much like Josh Allen, I can't see Sam Darnold as a lifelong starting QB in the NFL. He might have the intangibles to do it, but I don't think he's as strong psychologically as he needs to be as a quarterback in the NFL. Now, this might just be me remembering his, I'm seeing ghosts, hot Mike from last year. Remember that against the Patriots? He threw like a pick in the red zone or something, went on the bench and said he was seeing ghosts. Uh-uh, that's not a good sign as a quarterback. Uh, but it wasn't just that that I'm seeing ghost things. A lot of his mistakes last year were kind of panic mistakes, uh, mistakes of pocket collapsing. He just throw up, pop up 500 ball to nobody uh, instead of throwing it away or something. Also, his wide receiver core is abysmal. Who's he going to throw to? Uh, he's got Crowder. Uh, he's not bad. Perryman Ho- Hogan. I mean, that's that that, that that's a disgusting receiver receiving core. Obviously, they have Denzel Mims. Uh, the rookie wide receiver from Baylor. Hopefully he can help out, but uh, wide receivers usually take a couple of years to develop. It's kind of rare for a, wide receiver, a rookie wide receiver to go off. So uh, I don't know who Sam Darnold is going to throw to, and I just don't think he's all psychologically there. Also, Adam Gase is clearly not a very good coach. So under 3,599.5 passing yards for Sam Darnold, minus 110. Here's a little positive. Let's do a positive prop bet. Let's prop someone up instead of tearing them down here for a change. Russell Wilson, over 4,000 and a half passing yards. So 4,001 passing yards on the season. This wins the bet. It's at minus 110. I think he's going to go off this year. If Pete Carroll and their offensive coordinator finally let him loose earlier in games instead of waiting until the fourth quarter when they're already down 13, he might win MVP. I love the over 4,000 and a half passing yards prop, which, by the way, he surpassed last season. Uh, bet on him to win MVP is not a terrible look. I think he's right around 8-1. to one. I'm going to have a different MVP here uh, uh, before the end of the show. It's not going to be him, but he wouldn't be a bad look. I mean, I truly think him and Patrick Mahomes are the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Uh, the Seahawks offensive line does worry me a little bit, and also they're like I mentioned, their coach, sometimes their coaches don't let Russell Wilson be Russell Wilson until the fourth quarter when they're down 13, and then he drags them back into the game every time. So let Russell Wilson play. Let him loose. Uh, now let's look at old Tom. Old Tommy boy. Over 10.5 interceptions plus 110. So I guess here I am back to being negative Nancy Ian. Sorry. I, I, but I, I, I like the, I, I don't know. I like the negativity uh, as far as prop bets go. So over 10.5 interceptions. I wouldn't take the under on his passing yard total or touchdown total just because I think they're going to let him sling the ball all over the field in Tampa like James Winston did the past couple years. But the over 10.5 interceptions of plus money seems like a good play to me. We saw how many picks, obviously, Winston threw in the system. Now, how much of that was a system? How much is that a Winston being blind? How much of that was just Winston being an aggressive quarterback? We don't really know. But they're at least going to let him throw a lot. And now we have noodle-armed Tom Brady throwing the ball around the same amount of times. I think he probably will throw for some yards. He'll throw for some touchdowns. But I think that's going to come with some interceptions, especially in the system where they just allow him to throw the ball all over the, all over the field. So over 10.5 interceptions plus 110. Now let's get back to some positivity. Uh, I'm going to go through the awards, NFL awards. Give my picks for each one. Let's start with coach of the year. I'm going to go Mike Tomlin. For my NFL coach of the year, 25 to 1. So if the Steelers become good again and they finish as like a two or three seed in the AFC, which I think is well within the realm of possibility, uh, Mike Tomlin wins this award, in my opinion. After all the drama the Steelers have gone through with injuries and the Antonio Brown fiasco, if he can bring them back to the playoffs, he has to be worth a look for this award. 25 to 1 is fantastic value. Uh, there's a couple of guys that like 10 to 1, like Bill Belichick. I think he's a favorite 10 to 1. 
You got to love Mike Tomlin. I think if the Steelers would have made the playoffs last year, I think he could have won the award last year. Uh, so Mike Tomlin, 25 to one to win NFL coach of the year. Okay, let's look at comeback player of the year. I'm going to take AJ Green, 10 to one. Uh, so, I mean, just a few years ago before all the injury issues, AJ Green was arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Obviously injury issues for a couple years now, but if, if he can stay healthy, and that's a big if, I think he's going to ball out. He gives... Rookie quarterback Joe Burrow, an all-star vet that he can rely on, so you know Joe Burrow is going to feed him the ball because he knows he has that guy out wide that, that, like I just said, that he can rely on. So if he stays healthy, 10-1, to 1, I think that's a great price on A.J. Green to win Comeback Player of the Year. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the football. Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to take Chandler Jones at 20-1. to 1. So he was the 2019 NFC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, of course, Stephen Gilmore or Stephon Gilmore of the Patriots uh, won it for the whole NFL. But Chandler Jones was the NFC Defensive Player of the Year, and we're getting him at 20 to one. I think that's insane value. Second sacks last season, uh, 19 tied for first and forced fumbles. The guy's a beast. So NFC Defensive Player of the Year last year. I'll take him at 20 to one all day to win NFL Defensive Player of the Year this year. Let's stay on the defensive side of the football. Defensive Rookie of the Year. I'm going to take Kenneth Murray, uh, the linebacker from Oklahoma. So who knows what you're going to get with rookies. I'm staying away from the top of the few guys on the list because I just don't think we're going to get value on them like uh, Chase Young. And also, who knows what Chase Young is going to do in Washington, which is just a graveyard for young talent. So I think Kenneth Murray has the best value. First-round linebacker going to L.A. who has developed young defensive rookies. Uh, well in the past, like Derwin James. I mean, who really knows? I mean, out of all the award ones, I think this might be the biggest crapshoot, but I'll, I'll take Kenneth Murray 14-1. to 1. That's my pick. NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year now. I'm going with a chalk pick, uh, the first chalk pick of these award picks. I'm going Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. Big Joe Burrow guy. I've tweeted it before. I think he is actually going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. I just think he's a born winner. Now, this is completely, I guess, subjective, but you can kind of see that in him. He has that mindset that all successful quarterbacks seem to have. He doesn't get too up. He doesn't get too down. It's like a quiet confidence that he has. Also, I mean, I mean, he won the Heisman last year. Uh, and he, he has that chip on his shoulder. He still has that chip on his shoulder from Ohio State. He still talks about an interview. So, I mean, I, I think Joe Burrow is going to be an extremely good pro. I think he has all the intangibles. All He has this, this psychological aspect of the game. Offensive rookie of the year at plus 275. He's going to sling it for the Bengals. I mean, hopefully A.J. Green stays healthy. That'll help him if he does. Hopefully Joe Mixon keeps playing well. Uh, so it is a chalky pick, but I'm going to take Joe Burrow to win that award at plus 275. Now, NFL MVP. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, I do like Russell Wilson at around eight eight to one, but I <laughs> I am going to make the chalk pick again. Uh, so the last two picks here, kind of chalky picks, but Patrick Mahomes plus four hundred. I mean, you guys don't need me to harp on about how good he is. You already know, and you get pounded with with that idea on every NFL show you've watched this entire off season. I think Patrick Mahomes is the pick to make here. Uh, even though he is the favorite at plus 400, I don't think his odds, like, I don't think you're going to get better odds at any point in the NFL season. I think he's going to start strong, and right after a good week one performance, those odds will probably go up to around plus 350, and I think they're only going to go up from there. So I'm not big on betting on favorites, but I'm going to do it both for the Offensive Rookie of the Year with Joe Burrow, and I'm going to do it with the NFL MVP, Patrick Mahomes. So those are my best future bets, props, 
fun bets to make for the NFL season. I will make a Super Bowl pick, but I'll make that on the first uh, NFL-only episode on Thursday. Or maybe I'll make it on Monday. I don't know. I'll make my Super Bowl pick, and I might even make uh, my divisional winner picks uh, on one of the two next week's shows. But that's it for the picks portion of the podcast. Uh, We're going to head into the final portion of the podcast where I'm going to break down, in my opinion, the easiest to the hardest uh, sports to handicap, sports to bet on. Um, But before we do, we're going to say gambler's prayer because it helped us last week. We went 3-0-1 on our Tuesday night bets after saying this prayer. So let's say it again. I hope you've all learned it. Please say it along with me. Gambler, oh gambler, please bless our bets this week and save us from bad beats. Allow our wins to outweigh our losses and our tilt bets be successful. May our bankrolls grow and our Twitter trolls stay silent. We ask that you giveth more than you taketh, gambler, oh gambler, be with us this week. I still don't know how I'm supposed to finish uh, the gambler prayer. I can't say amen, I think that's a Christian thing, so I'll just say, I don't know. Huzzah! I don't know, I'll think of something. I'll think of something next week. So let's get into the final portion of the podcast. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to rank the sports to handicap. I'm going to rank it from easiest to the hardest. Uh, with quick disclaimer, this is all obviously just my opinion with these. You're all going to have different opinions. Um, I actually am interested to hear what your opinions are. So I have started up an email address. Uh, I want to hear your takes and maybe on next week's show, I'll read back some of your guys' opinions where you guys rank. Uh, the handicaps, uh, uh, which sports are the hardest and easiest to handicap. I'm interested to hear your guys' opinions. So email me your answers to the same question. Uh, the email address is baconbetspodcast at gmail.com. Pretty straightforward, baconbetspodcast at gmail.com. Email me your rankings, and I might read a couple next week. Uh, put in some explanations. If you're just going to rank the names, I won't read them. Uh, but if you put in some explanations, I will give you a shout-out, and I'll read them on next week's show. So once again, I am ranking them from easiest to hardest in my opinion. And with the easiest, I'm going to start with college basketball. This is probably not a surprise to most of you. College basketball is by far uh, the sport that I'm best at. I hit it like, what what was it, 58.7% on spreads and totals last year. Uh, The reason why I love betting on college basketball so much and the reason why I find it the easiest of all the sports to bet on, a few different reasons. Number one, it's a perfect sample size. Uh, So there's, I mean, they play a a good handful of games, but it doesn't get too many. Once you get to too many sample sizes, then you're like, oh, what, should I just look last 30 games? Should I look at all season? Like MLB, uh, MLB, it's always tricky because do you just want to look at the last 30 games? Or if it's late in the season, do you look at the whole season? Do you just look at that certain month? College basketball is the perfect sample size, enough to give you an idea of what every team does, uh, but not too many games that you're trying to figure out. uh, Should you just look at last few weeks or if you should look at the whole season? Also, they play as a team. This is one of the reasons why I don't bet on NBA and why I don't like the NBA in general is because NBA is just all soul. It's all ISO ball. Teams just run ISO. They give their best players a ball and try to make them win the game. College basketball, they play as a team much more, and winning is much more important than individual performance in college basketball. Everyone wants to make the tournament. Everyone wants to make a run of the national title. So they buy into their coach's system, and they follow that system. And if they don't, they get benched in in large, you know, large majority of cases. So guys who play, they, they play as a team, they follow a system, you generally know what to expect, and there's a good sample size of games. Now obviously there's outlier games, teams just play bad sometimes, other teams play good sometimes, They're, I mean that's why I'm, you can't hit it 100%, uh, 
but I think it at least it gives you a, a, a good feeling of what each team is going to do in what game, and you have a good sample size and a good number of stats to base that off of. So in my opinion, the easy sport to handicap college basketball. Number two on the list, MLB. So sample size is big for me. As many stats as possible, um, I will take them. The one issue with MLBs I just kind of alluded to uh, when talking about college basketball is that it's almost too much uh, in a full season. Actually, this season I love because 60 games is almost a perfect amount of games. But in a normal season, hundred what is it, 162 games they play? So in the 110th game of the season, should you only be looking at their last 30 games? Should you be looking at the you know entire season? You know, Should you be looking at stats from all 110 games so far? It's kind of hard to determine where you make that cutoff at. Um, also, the season's so long, so teams change a little bit. They call up guys, they put guys back down in the farm system, they make trades, they make signings. Uh, so uh, I don't want to complain about the sample size because I'd much rather a much bigger sample size than a much smaller sample size. Uh, but still, it can almost be too much, but still, I love that. Also, starting pitchers kind of give you a good jump-off point when handicapping MLB. Just start with the starting pitchers. It's the easiest thing to do. Um, and starting pitchers usually stay pretty constant throughout the season, uh, at least the best guys do. So, second easiest sport uh, to handicap, in my opinion, is MLB. Third easiest, this one might not come as a surprise for you, is golf. Now, this season, I haven't had a great season in golf. I've had some high moments. I've, ha- I've had some low moments for sure. Uh, but I would say throughout the last few years is probably the worst season I've had in golf. But in general, I still uh, enjoy it the most of handicapping. I find it more on the easier end compared to some other sports I'm going to name here in, in, in a few moments. Um, but don't forget the big thing in golf is that it's not golfer versus golfer. It's golfer against the course. And in most cases, the courses don't change. Obviously, there's events where the courses change from year to year. Um, like some of the majors, I mean, like last week's BMW Championship, that obviously gave us trouble. But for the large majority of events, it's the same course year after year, so you know what to expect. You know what kind of game is going to be good. Uh, you know if it's going to be a ball striker's course, if it's going to be a driver's course, if it's going to be a putter's course, you know if the rough's going to be thick. Outside of very minor changes each year, you, you, you generally know what to expect. And when you're looking at all the stats of a golfer, you know where their strong points of their games are, and you can fit those strong points in with the strong points of the golf course, and it fits together like a puzzle piece. Now, what does make it obviously difficult um, is the verifying mental state of players because golf is one of the most mental games in professional sport. They say it's, what, 90% mental or something like that? And so that's a lot of what recent form is, how well guys have been playing recently. You don't fully know how their head is going into a, a tournament. I mean, athletes are never going to say before competing, hey, yeah, I'm just not really feeling into it this week. Uh, but nonetheless, some weekends they aren't. So that's what makes golf a little bit difficult, uh, or at least that's the difficult aspect of betting on golf, is you just don't know where a guy's head's at, or really just sometimes where their game is at uh, week in and week out. So next one, so now I'm kind of getting into the sports that I find more difficult uh, to handicap. I have six, no, I yeah, six total listed, by the way. I have some not listed. I'll get into those at the end. Uh, so I have three more on the easier end, and now I have three more uh, what I find on the d- difficult end. So the next one on the list is the NHL. So lots of stats, which I like, uh, but what makes NHL difficult is kind of the nature of the game is kind of random. Uh only a couple goals a game, so the games are only like 3-2, 4-2, And the puck just always takes weird bounces. I mean, I played I, was, I played hockey my whole life, obviously, being Canadian. I was born in a pair of skates. I was a goalie. So I know how random just hockey in general can be. 
weird thing. It's such a fast-paced game. There's only a couple goals each game. You get a couple weird bounces go one team's way, and that's, and that's the game. Also, a goalie can make or break a bet on any given night, whether you bet on a team or bet against a team or whatever. If the goalie's playing really well that night, then everything else doesn't matter. Uh, if the goalie's playing bad that night and lets in three goals in the first five minutes, generally nothing else matters anyway. So sometimes you just bet on it, you predict it perfectly, but then one goalie either just stands up or shits the bed and the rest of your handicapping didn't matter. So uh, the factor of how important a goalie is in, a, in an NHL game makes NHL a little bit more difficult as well. It does have a lot of stats, though, which is nice. Uh, yeah. Next one. Uh is the UFC. That's next on my list. This is the second most difficult sport to bet on my opinion. And maybe I'm saying this because I'm on, on such a cold streak in UFC. Maybe if I was on a hot streak, it would be a little bit closer to the easier end. But let's talk about UFC. So in most sports, we're seeing guys play at least once a week. Teams play at least once a week. UFC, there are months off in between fights. We might, it might, it might be two, three years since we last saw a guy fight. How did this camp go? Uh, is he in shape? Uh, has it, did, did his coaches, you know, teach him the right things in camp we have no idea and this goes back to the issue of athletes not being honest athletes will always say oh yeah i had a great camp uh, i feel the best i've ever been uh, this is the best shape i've ever been in i'm really happy with uh the work me and my coaches put in and then go put it go out in the octagon and put it put out a stinker they're not going to be honest but especially before a fight i mean they especially in ufc you really can't be you don't want to give the other, other guy a mental edge so we have no idea the mental state of fighters going into fights we don't know really what kind of shape they're in, except for judging what their body looks like uh, at the weigh-in. So UFC's length in between fights makes it the second most difficult sport to handicap, in my opinion. I guess I should be saying MMA, but I don't really bet on any, any MMA fights outside of the UFC, maybe the occasional Bellator fights. So uh, MMA in general, there's just too much time in between fights, and we have no idea... Uh, the mental state. Now, if I had like an inside source in all these big gyms uh, that would be honest with me about how fighters looked in training camp, UFC would probably be the easiest to bet on. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't have any inside sources. So if anyone listens to this that trains at ATT, aka uh, TriStar, any of the big gyms with UFC fighters, slide into my DMs, please. Uh, we can have some conversations and make some money. And then finally, the most difficult sport to bet on, in my opinion. And you're probably guessing what it is because I haven't named it yet. The National Football League, in my opinion, it is the most difficult sport to handicap, the most difficult league to handicap. Which probably isn't going to fare well considering I said earlier that I'm going to bet every single NFL game this season. <laughs> but why is it so difficult? The big reason is because small sample size. We only get 16 games a season. That's it for the whole season. In Major League Baseball, I don't even look to handicap games until they've played close to 16 games. Probably more like 10 games, but you get my point. If I waited 10 games to bet on the NFL, I'd only have six weeks left for the regular season. Or I guess seven weeks left for the regular season. Small, small, small sample size. 16 games in the regular season is over. So you could be handicapping games for like week four and be like, well, this team ran the ball really well. Well, I mean, did they or did they just go up against bad run defenses? The small sample size makes NFL almost impossible to accurately handicap, in my opinion. The other thing that makes it so difficult is game plan is huge in football. Um, I'm speaking from a little bit of experience here. Um, I did play uh, university football up here in Canada. 
Uh, I played for two years and then I quit training camp my third year. That's a long story that I'm not going to get into in this podcast, but I'm at least aware of what football at a high level is like the week leading into a game. There's a ton of preparations. You might have a completely different uh, uh, playbook in one week than you do the next week. Uh, and if you don't know what a team's game plan is, which I don't when I'm handicapping NFL because I'm not on on NFL team, uh, I have no idea what they're going to do. I might bet on a team because they're really good at running the ball. They might have the game plan to not run the ball at all that game. Uh, I might bet on a, a player prop over eight and a half catches and the team plans to use that receiver only as a decoy that week. So there's just so much game planning when, you, when you're only playing one game a week. So much team matchup specific uh, factors that the normal public don't know. Also, penalties can be game changers in, in the NFL. How many of you have been screwed over by, you know, a defensive pass interference call uh, on an NFL bet? Uh, I'll raise my hand more times than not. Uh, so it feels like to me penalties can completely flip the script of a game in the NFL more than other leagues. So that's another reason why it makes it more difficult. Betting on NFL, there's just more feel to it. I hate betting on gut feeling, but and maybe this isn't gut, but it's more like, you know, uh, if one spread seems too obvious, it's probably going to hit the other way. I rely on the fact that I know sports books are smarter than me when betting on NFL, so I try to feel my way through NFL picks, uh, and you guys will hear that when I give out my picks throughout this NFL season. I don't want to use the term gut feeling, but it is a little bit more of a feeling out process, judging where the line's at. Sometimes you make picks that statistically don't make any sense at all, but you just kind of have to make the pick and you don't really have a lot of numbers or stats to, to explain why. So NFL is, in my opinion, the most difficult uh, sport to handicap for that reason. Now, just like I said with the UFC, if there's anyone listening to this podcast who has uh, an inside source into some NFL locker rooms and you can slip me what their game plan is uh, heading into games, NFL would become a lot easier to bet on. Uh, I'm assuming that doesn't happen, so... That's why it's the most difficult. But if you have an inside source, if you work for a team, slide me into uh, slide into my DMs. We'll keep our conversation private. That is an E in guarantee. Uh, now, obviously, I need to touch on the sports I, I, I didn't talk about, uh, mainly NBA, college football, and soccer. Uh, I'm not going to rank sports that I don't bet on. I could have thrown horse racing in there. Horse racing probably would have been uh, one or two. I've kind of dabbled in horse racing. But I only wanted to talk about sports that I at least have an extensive experience betting on. Uh, NBA, I kind of mentioned it when I talked about college basketball. I don't love NBA. It's too much. I, I think players, especially during the regular season, care, care about stats more than they care about winning. Uh, maybe that's old man yelling at the cloud mentality. But I like. I think college basketball teams just play as a team a lot more. Uh, NBA, if your star player has an off game, then th- they're going to lose. Um, college football, I I don't know. I can't get a feel for college football. Maybe I, and that's just to be, maybe I just haven't made a, as big of an effort as I should in college football because I've just always been an NFL guy. But I, I mean, I'm not going to give my opinion about handicapping a sport. I just haven't really historically handicapped. I usually take, use my Saturdays to handicap for the Sunday games. So I kind of put on college football in the back in the background. I assume you probably have to look a lot into coaching systems more than necessarily individual players with the amount of turnover in college football games. Also, spreads are generally just like massive spreads. Like, what, I'm going to take a team to cover a 27-point spread against fucking Arkansas State A&M, you know? Like, <laughs> college football is just a little bit of a... It's very entertaining to watch, but for, for betting on, it's just not for me. 
I prefer college basketball over NBA and then NFL over college football. That's just the way I am. Maybe I'll change in the future. Maybe I'll get into college football this year with kind of the SEC being the uh, the main conference this year. And then soccer. I just don't. I try I try to get into soccer every year. I watch some games, uh, go Wolves, but uh, I don't watch soccer enough to be able to confidently handicap uh, the sport. I'm on, If nothing else, I'm honest with you guys. Right? I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lie about my record. I'm not going to lie about my takes. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I'll be honest with you guys when I don't know something. That's why, like, someone uh, DM'd me uh, yesterday or today wanting to know a tennis pick for the U.S. Open, asking if I had any tennis picks. I could have just bullshitted them and been like, yeah, I like this matchup, blah, 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 or just copied someone else's picks that I saw on Twitter. But I was honest. I was like, I don't know anything about tennis, dude. You got to better look somewhere else. Uh, so if nothing else, I'm honest with you guys. You'll always get the truth. So that's why I did not include NBA, college football, or soccer, because uh, I don't really bet on those sports. Uh, maybe I could have tossed in horse racing. If I did, I probably would have tossed it second uh, right next to UFC, because my little experience with horse racing, uh, you think you figured it out, and then it proves to you time and time and time again right afterwards that you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, so there you go. College basketball easiest, MLB, golf, NHL, UFC, and NFL in that order. Speaking of NFL, we're back very soon. 10 days away, ladies and gentlemen, from the National Football League starting next week. As I mentioned at the top of the show, on Thursdays, Thursday mornings, I'll be releasing an NFL-only podcast, which will be my picks for every single NFL game that week. I'm very excited for that. Please subscribe to the channel. Rate it. Review it. That helps me out a lot, so please actually do that. If you want to donate to the show, the option is there as well. The link is in the description. Also, the donate button is at the top of the website. You can find the link to that. in my Twitter bio. So that's all I have for you today. Best of luck this week. Enjoy the amount of sports that we have to watch. This is going to be a great month of September. Get into it. Get excited. I love you all, and I'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.